Everyone loves to listen to a good book, and there are so many wonderful ones to choose, so we decided to bring you this podcast of Stories Come to Life. Each episode features a story from either classic or modern literature, especially chosen to be interesting and exciting to hear. So sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Welcome to Stories Come to Life. I am your host, Catherine Lopez Luker. It is with great pleasure that I am able to announce that Simon & Schuster Publishing Company has given permission for this book to be read out loud and shared on Stories Come to Life until June 30th, 2024. But of course, the episodes that fall under that special permission will all be taken down on that date, so listen now while they're available. Poor Lara Pendleton. Her new guardian seems like a terrible person. He's not very kind to her. And poor Lara has to be uprooted from everything that's comfortable and go live in the unknown bungalow on Melrose Lake. In the meantime, Nancy and Helen are at the camp. And it is with great reluctance that Nancy turns back toward home. She can't stay at the camp all the time. Her vacation is over, and now it's time for her to go back to River Heights. As she leaves the camp, she notices the big storm clouds overhead. Oh, if only she can make it home before the storm breaks. Now sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Nancy Drew Mystery Stories The Bungalow Mystery Chapter 5 Lara's Guardian Early the following afternoon, Nancy Drew and Helen Corning, faithful to their promise, boarded a launch which made regular passenger trips and were ferried to the lakeside hotel. I wonder if Lara's guardian has arrived yet, Helen remarked curiously as the two girls walked toward the hotel, which was one of the most exclusive on Moon Lake. We'll soon meet him if he's here, Nancy replied. I do hope he's the right sort. Lara would be dreadfully unhappy with anyone who didn't understand her. She's frightened to death at the thought of meeting him. Do you imagine that was why she asked us to come here this particular afternoon? Yes, I do, Helen. It was as plain as the nose on your face. To tell you the truth, I'm curious to meet Jacob Aborn. The conversation ended abruptly as the two girls entered the hotel lobby. Nancy Drew made her way directly to the desk, and after a brief wait was informed that Lara Pendleton would receive the girls in her suite. An elevator whisked them to the third floor. Scarcely had they knocked on the door when Lara opened it. Oh, I'm so glad you came, she cried. I was afraid you wouldn't. She led the girls into a pleasant suite. There was no need to ask if Jacob Aborn had arrived, for Lara's eyes disclosed that she was deeply troubled. As Nancy stepped into the living room, she saw the man slumped down in a chair near the window. When Lara politely presented him, he arose and grunted a, Pleased to meet you, without warmth. Nevertheless, his shrewd eyes swept the two girls appraisingly. Jacob Aborn was a short, pudgy man, 
and apparently he lacked a good disposition, for a tiny scowl lined his forehead. He was well-dressed and wore a large diamond on his right hand. I was afraid I wouldn't get to see you girls again, Lara began hastily, when an awkward silence fell upon the group. I'm leaving this afternoon. You're leaving Moon Lake so soon? Nancy inquired, with a curious glance directed toward Jacob Aborn. Yes, Lara declared without enthusiasm. My guardian is taking me to Melrose Lake. That's a long way from here, isn't it? Twenty miles, I believe, Nancy responded. I'm sorry you're leaving. So am I, Lara told her wistfully. I like it here, and I was just beginning to get acquainted. Must you go so soon? Lara asked. The air is much better at Melrose Lake, Jacob Aborn broke in. Lara isn't in very good health, and it's my duty to take care of her. I promised her dear mother I would look after her. I never heard that Melrose Lake was particularly healthful, Nancy commented dryly. I have a fine bungalow there, Jacob Aborn added hastily. That's another reason for leaving. It'll be much nicer for Lara than living in a hotel. Possibly you are right, Nancy admitted reluctantly. She had taken an instant dislike to Jacob Aborn, although she realized she had no reason for her feeling. He seemed kind enough to Lara, and was apparently deeply interested in her welfare. Yet at times his eyes had a hard, almost cruel glint as he gazed upon her. Nancy was ashamed of her suspicion, yet she could not help but wonder if the man's affection for his ward was genuine. Lara glanced nervously at her guardian. It was obvious that she was uneasy in his presence. Would you girls care to have tea in the garden? She proposed, hopefully. That would be lovely, Helen said quickly. She, too, had taken a violent dislike to Jacob Aborn, and was eager for an opportunity to get away. It would be a relief to have a quiet talk with Lara. However, Jacob Aborn had no intention of permitting Lara's plan to be carried into effect. He picked up his hat and bestowed a saccharine smile upon his ward. I will go with you, my dear. It was clear to Nancy Drew that he was determined Lara should not have a chance to talk with her friends alone. Something is wrong, she thought. Lara doesn't want to go to Melrose Lake, and he's forcing her to do it. The afternoon was a failure so far as Lara Pendleton and her friends were concerned. They spent a miserable half hour over the teacups, attempting to keep up a conversation. Lara's face was pale, and her eyes held an expression of fear. Jacob Aborn appeared not to notice. He gulped his tea in one swallow crumbled his cake upon the tablecloth, and then, tilting back his chair, proceeded to regale Nancy and Helen with tales of his brilliant business ventures. His stories, which were obvious untruths, disgusted the girls, but for Lara's sake they listened politely. "'I'm going to make Lara's money earn real interest,' he boasted. "'I'll invest it in stocks.' If you know the ropes, you can beat the market every time. Nancy Drew raised her eyebrows in well-bred disapproval. Will the court sanction such speculation? The court? What's that got to do with it? Jacob Aborn demanded. As Lara's legal guardian, you will be responsible for the money, 
and will have to make an accounting, Nancy informed him. My father is a lawyer, so I know. Jacob Aborn stared at her somewhat hostily. Oh, yes, to be sure, he muttered. Pushing back his chair, he called loudly for a waiter. Greatly to Lara's embarrassment, persons at other tables turned and stared at him curiously. Waiter, my check, he ordered with a grand flourish. The bill settled. He turned to Lara with sudden decision. You must get your things packed at once, my dear. We're leaving in half an hour for Melrose Lake. But you said we were to remain here until late this afternoon, Lara protested. I haven't had a chance to talk with Nancy and Helen. I'm sorry, but we must leave at once. Your friends will excuse you. It doesn't seem right to rush away like this. When I invited you girls here to spend the afternoon, Lara apologized. She was on the verge of tears as she faced Nancy and Helen. We'll surely see you again sometime soon, Nancy Drew promised. Oh, if only you will. You must come to Melrose Lake. I don't know a soul there, and I shall be so lonesome. She turned to her guardian. What is the address? I want Nancy and Helen to have it. Jacob Aborn frowned. The address? Oh, they won't need it. Anyone can direct them to the bungalow. Nancy surveyed Lara's guardian curiously. Why was he so eager to get his ward away from them? From his response to Lara's question, she comprehended that he did not wish to encourage a visit to Melrose Lake. I'm afraid I must say goodbye, Lara told Helen and Nancy regretfully. Soberly, the three girls shook hands. Lara clung to Nancy an instant, and as their eyes met, it seemed as though she were trying to tell her something. We must hurry, my dear, Jacob Aborn put in impatiently. With a show of affection, he carelessly permitted his hand to fall upon Lara's shoulder. Involuntarily, she cringed. Yes, I'm coming, she responded listlessly. Without another word, she turned and left the two girls. Jacob Aborn followed her into the hotel. Thoughtfully, Nancy and Helen walked toward the dock to await the coming of the passenger launch. It's a shame, Helen burst out after several minutes of silence. Yes, it is, Nancy Drew agreed. I don't blame Lara for not wanting to go to Melrose Lake. She isn't going to be happy with that guardian. I think she's going to be miserable, responded Helen. Why, that man is a perfect bear. At the dock, the two girls learned that the ferry would not be there for fifteen minutes. So rather than remain there, they strolled around the hotel grounds. That's the worst with choosing a guardian you haven't seen perhaps for years, was Nancy's comment as they walked along a path close to the side of the hotel. Lara's mother, when dying, may have thought her old school friend was as he had been in their early years. On the contrary, he has changed for the worse. The two girls walked along in silence for a minute. Then both came to a sudden pause. They're right over our head, whispered Nancy excitedly. Listen. The chums listened and were speedily made aware that they were directly under the second-story windows of the two rooms occupied by Lara and her guardian. The guardian was in the girl's room and talking to her in anything but a pleasing manner.
I said you would get your things packed at once, snarled Jacob Aborn, and don't snivel any longer about those other girls and the way I treated them. I'm your guardian, and after this you'll do as I say. I'll get ready, answered Lara meekly, and please don't talk so loud, or you'll upset the whole hotel. Never mind that, returned the man. I'll be ready in ten minutes, and I want you to be ready too. After that there was silence, and with a meaning look between them, Nancy and Helen turned and walked back to the dock. It's simply awful. I wish I could do something for her, said Nancy, shaking her head sadly. Chapter 6 Homeward Bound In the mad, happy whirl of camp life, Nancy Drew and Helen Corning were kept so busy that they had little time to think of Lara Pendleton and her troubles. At first, Nancy had been inclined to worry about her, for she could not rid herself of the conviction that Jacob Aborn was not so kindly disposed to his ward as he pretended. But as the days passed, and no word was received from Lara, she gradually faded into the background. There's nothing we can do to help her, Helen had summed up the situation. The court appointed Lara's guardian, and unless he proves himself incompetent, there's nothing to be done about the matter. I'm afraid you're right, Nancy sighed. The two girls became engulfed in an endless round of swimming, tennis, hikes, boating, and handicraft work, and Lara was temporarily forgotten. Helen, after her unfortunate experience on Moon Lake, was determined to learn how to swim, and Nancy undertook to teach her the crawl stroke. Each morning the girls spent several hours on the beach and in the water. I'm beginning to think that by the time I leave Moon Lake, I'll be a real swimmer, said Helen, with much satisfaction, after a rather long lesson from Nancy. You certainly swim very well, Helen, but of course it takes practice to make perfect. I don't think you want to swim across the lake just yet. Across the lake? Well, I should say not. I think I'll be doing wonderfully well if I could swim from this dock to the one above here. You're going to do that tomorrow. <gasps> Never! Just wait and see. On the morrow, much to her delight, Helen managed to swim, not only from one dock to the other, but to swim back again. I never thought I could do it, the girl declared in great delight. She was gasping a little for breath, but her face was radiant. Nancy, you're a great teacher. Any time you feel like giving up your idea of becoming a detective, you had better become a swimming teacher. Thank you, Helen. That sounds nice. But I think I'll stick to my hobby of solving mysteries. So enjoyable was Nancy Drew's vacation at camp that she was induced to prolong her stay. But at last the day came when she announced that she must depart for home. In vain, Helen coaxed her to remain. No, I must leave this afternoon, Nancy insisted firmly. I've already stayed longer than I intended. Directly after luncheon, to the keen disappointment of her friends, Nancy drew back her blue roadster from the shed, which served as a makeshift garage. Tossing her suitcase into the back of the car, she regretfully prepared to depart. 
I don't see why you need to start so early, Helen protested. Can't you stay a few hours longer? Nancy Drew shook her head. I have a forty-mile drive ahead of me. You can drive to River Heights in a couple of hours at the most, if everything goes well. But I may be unlucky enough to get a flat tire. And look at those clouds. Nancy indicated a mass of fleecy white clouds, which had settled near the horizon. Oh, those aren't storm clouds, Helen declared. It isn't going to rain. That's what we thought when we were out on Moon Lake in the motorboat, Nancy reminded her. From now on, I'm taking no chances with storms, especially when they come up as quickly as they do in this locality. Then why not wait another day if you're afraid of the rain, Helen teased. And get marooned here for a week? You know how the roads are after a storm. I can't blame you for not wanting to drive in the mud, Helen admitted. So I won't plead with you any more. With a last goodbye, Nancy Drew started the engine. Girls stepped out of the way, and she skillfully backed the car to the main highway. The road followed Moon Lake for a considerable distance, and Nancy drove slowly, enjoying a last glimpse of the shore. It was with regret that she left camp, for she had enjoyed every minute of her vacation. She loved the clear blue of the lake, the gigantic trees, the earthy odor of the forest, and the whisper of the wind in the pine needles. Presently, emerging from the timber, the scenery was less interesting, and she made better time. Now and then, as she came upon a clearing, she cast an anxious glance toward the sky. Although the sun was shining brightly, Nancy Drew thought the clouds were becoming blacker. Soon, she was convinced that a storm was rolling up. Just my luck to run into one, she thought in disgust. Well, I have chains with me anyway. She glanced nervously at the speedometer and was relieved to note that she was nearly halfway to River Heights. There's no need to worry, she told herself. I'll be home before the storm strikes. Although Nancy Drew had never been afraid of storms, her recent experience on Moon Lake had made a strong impression upon her, and now she stepped hard on the accelerator. The little blue roadster went bumping over the ruts at a rapid rate. On down the road Nancy sped. Suddenly, she saw an obstruction in the path ahead and hastily put on the footbrake. The roadster came to a creaking halt before a huge sign which read, Detour! Bridge out! Take Melrose Lake Road! An arrow pointed to the left. How aggravating! Nancy exclaimed. Just when I'm in a hurry. Now I must travel miles out of my way before I strike the River Heights Road. Another anxious glance at the sky told her that there was no time to be lost. Already, huge storm clouds had blotted out the sun. I'm going to be caught in the rain, she thought. There's no escape. Hastily, she backed the roadster and headed down the Melrose Lake detour. In spite of the need for haste, she dared not race the car over the ruddy highway. She was forced to reduce her speed to less than 25 miles an hour, and even then it seemed as though the automobile would shake to pieces. 
Presently, the winding road ahead became indistinct against the black background of the forest, for the storm clouds were nestling closer and closer to the earth. Nancy snapped on the headlights, and two beams of light shot down the road, illuminating the ruddy highway for a hundred yards. Instinctively, she grasped the steering wheel more tightly, and every nerve in her body seemed sensitized, for the uncertainty of her situation gave her a feeling of uneasiness. She wondered how she would ever reach the main road should the storm break and catch her in the forest. The uncertainty was soon ended, for Nancy Drew saw great raindrops glisten down through the headlight beams. Then the drops became indistinguishable in a downpour of water that seemed to drop from an opened floodgate in the sky. The two deep ruts ahead quickly changed into swiftly rushing rivulets, which spread out over the road in a wide sheet of water. This is terrible, Nancy Drew cried. If my wheels get down into those ruts, I'll be stuck. The roadster skidded from one side of the road to the other, several times barely missing the ditch. By a miracle, so she told herself, Nancy Drew avoided the deep ruts and kept the car moving. Then, directly ahead, she saw a hill, and low as it was, knew it could not be climbed without chains. There's no use trying to make it, she decided. I must stop and put on chains. Halting the roadster under a huge tree, which offered a little protection from the pelting rain, she rummaged under the seat for an old slicker and a pair of galoshes. After putting them on, she pulled out the chains and grimly set to work. It was not an enjoyable task, for the wheels of the roadster were covered with mud and the chains were stubborn. Nancy tugged and strained and wished with all her heart that someone would come along and volunteer to help her. However, the road was seldom traveled, and even the farmhouses were miles apart, so she was forced to depend upon her own resourcefulness. If it hadn't been for this hateful detour, I'd have reached a paved road before the rain struck me, she grumbled. Fastening the last chain, she gingerly removed her mud-coated galoshes, and with a sigh of relief, climbed back into the roadster. Just in time, too, she told herself, the worst of the storm is coming. Quickly starting the car again, Nancy Drew slowly crept up the hill and descended the slope in intermediate gear. Before she reached a level stretch, the storm broke in all its fury. The trees along the roadside twisted and bent before the onslaughts of the rushing wind, and a roar from the threshing branches welled up from the forest all around. The thunder crashed and went tumbling and rumbling down the uttermost parts of the sky, and lightning streaked up in brilliant zigzags to the very dome of heaven. This storm is as bad as that one on Moon Lake, Nancy thought in alarm. In vain, she watched the roadside for a farmhouse, where she could seek shelter until after the rain. There was nothing to do but keep on. The windshield became clouded, 
and it was with difficulty that Nancy made out the road ahead. It required close watching and quick thinking to keep the automobile wheels out of deep ruts. One mistake of judgment and the car would be mired down to the running board. However, Nancy Drew was an excellent driver and had confidence in her ability to handle the wheel. The condition of the road caused her less worry than the vivid flashes of lightning. Sharp cracks of thunder on all sides warned her that the lightning was close to the earth. Suddenly, a blinding tongue of savage lightning shot down directly in front of the roadster. There was a flash of fire and simultaneously a deafening roar. For an instant, Nancy Drew thought the car had been struck. Then came a splintering, ripping noise, and before the girl's horrified eyes, a pine tree fell earthward. One glance told Nancy that the roadster was in its line of fall. Frantically, she slammed on the brakes. Chapter 7 A Close Call With a loud crash, the stricken pine tree fell across the road, directly in front of the blue roadster. The trunk struck the earth less than half a dozen yards from where Nancy Drew had brought the automobile to a sudden halt, and the branches touched the hood of the roadster. For an instant, Nancy gripped the steering wheel, too stunned to comprehend fully how fortunate had been her escape from death. Everything had happened so quickly that there had been no time to become frightened until the danger was over. Now, as she considered what might have been her fate, she felt weak. If I hadn't slammed on those brakes when I did, it would have been too bad, she thought. Ruefully, she surveyed the tree which blocked the road. What was she to do? In some way, she must reach River Heights. If only someone would come along to help her. There probably isn't anyone within miles, she told herself. If I get through, I must depend upon my own initiative. The tree completely blocked the road, and as there was a steep ditch on either side, Nancy Drew saw at a glance that it would be impossible to pull out upon the bank. Fate had played an unkind trick upon her. Gloomily, she put on her wet slicker and buckled on the muddy galoshes. As she stepped from the closed car, a sheet of rain struck her in the face. Gingerly picking her way through the slush, she walked to the fallen pine and surveyed it critically. The tree was a small one, and Nancy thought that two men could move it quite easily. Unfortunately, the two men were not in evidence. If I could pull the trunk a little to one side, I ought to be able to get through, Nancy reasoned hopefully. Grasping the branches, she tugged with all her might. But the tree did not budge. Next, she attempted to lift the trunk, but only succeeded in tiring herself. Maybe I could roll it out of the way, she thought. She pushed with all her might against the trunk, but the branches prevented it from rolling. This gave Nancy a new idea, and she fell to work, pulling the branches out of the way. At last, she was forced to stop for rest. 
unmindful of the rain, which had now settled to a slow drizzle, she sat down on the trunk. It looks as though I'll be here all night, she mourned. It was by far anything but comfortable on the wet trunk of the tree, and presently Nancy got up, shook herself, and climbed into the roadster. She was afraid that she would have to stay in that dismal place all night. After a short while, the rain let up a little, and feeling restless, she again sought the tree trunk. Just then she heard a strange sound coming from behind her. If only someone is coming to help me, she murmured to herself. She strained her eyes and soon made out the object, which proved to be a large and shaggy dog. The animal, dripping with water, looked at Nancy in mild wonder and came to a halt. Come here, doggy, the girl cried. Where is your master? Come here. Instead of accepting this invitation, the dog gave himself a vigorous shake, which sent a shower of water over the girl and the roadster, and then turned and loped away among the trees. Even that dog doesn't want to help me, Nancy told herself, and smiled grimly. Suddenly she sat up straight and listened. She could hear footsteps. Someone was splashing through the mud and water, coming down the road toward her. I hope it's someone who can help me, she thought hopefully, as she sprang up from the tree trunk. As the stranger came within range of the automobile headlights, she saw that it was a girl. Nancy's sympathy went out to her as she noted her bedraggled appearance. I beg your pardon? The girl began as she rushed up to where Nancy was standing, but I'm in desperate trouble. Could you help me reach River Heights? Nancy, who recognized the voice, could scarcely believe her ears. Laura Pendleton, she exclaimed. The girl started violently as her name was spoken. For the first time, she peered intently at Nancy. Oh, she gasped in astonishment. I couldn't see your face against those bright headlights. Nancy saw plainly that Laura was agitated about something, and it was evident that she had been running, for she was breathing hard. She wore no head covering, and the thin coat which she had flung over her shoulders afforded a little protection from the rain. Laura was indeed a sorry sight. What's the matter? Nancy demanded quickly. Why, you're crying. Lara sank down on the tree trunk and sobbed. Oh, everything, Nancy, everything. Nancy Drew slipped her arm gently about the girl. You shouldn't be out in the storm, she chided her. What is your guardian thinking of to let you expose yourself this way? My guardian! Oh, I don't want to hear his name. I hope I never see him again. You're not running away, Lara. Yes, I am. I couldn't stand it another minute. Were you trying to get to River Heights? Yes, I thought you might help me. I've no other person to whom I can turn. Why, you poor dear, Nancy comforted her. Of course I'll help you. I haven't forgotten my promise. Then you'll take me away? Just as soon as I can get this tree out of our path. I'm on my way to River Heights now, and you shall go with me. What are you doing on the Melrose Lake Road? 
This is the most desolate place. I didn't think anyone came here unless he was forced to. That's why I came, Nancy informed her grimly. There was a detour on the regular road. Then the storm caught me, and finally this tree. When the lightning struck it, I thought sure I was doomed. You must have had a narrow escape, Lara observed. Too narrow for comfort, and Nancy laughed shortly. That tree didn't miss me by many feet. As it is, some of the branches are still touching the front of the car. What are you going to do, Nancy? Shall you be able to get through? That's what I don't know. Are there any houses near here? Lara shuddered. My guardian's bungalow is only a mile away. Well, we won't call on him for help. Oh, if he finds me here, I don't know what he'll do to me. Nervously, Lara wrung her hands, and Nancy was afraid she might have another fit of weeping. Jacob Aborn won't find you, she assured the girl. Oh, Nancy, you don't know what your kindness means to me, Lara cried gratefully. You've promised to help me when you haven't even heard my story. I must tell you, not a word until we reach River Heights. We must both get into dry clothing as quickly as we can. Here, climb into the car, where the rain won't strike you. I'm soaked to the skin already. It doesn't make any difference now. I must think of some way to get out of here, Nancy broke in thoughtfully, more to herself than to Lara. Do you think that you're strong enough to help me lift that tree? I think maybe we can do it together. Oh, I'm sure we can, Lara declared eagerly. Then let's try. After pulling the branches away from the roadster, the two girls tugged at the trunk. Although the tree was a small one, it was remarkably heavy for its size. Lara and Nancy puffed and panted, but were rewarded for their labors. Little by little, they succeeded in moving the tree a short way. Though pausing frequently to rest their arms, they kept at the work. I believe I can get through now, Nancy decided at length. Let's try it anyway. The girls clambered into the roadster, and Nancy started the engine. Proceeding cautiously at the very edge of the road, she drove the car forward. Several small branches struck the body and sides of the roadster, but did no damage other than to scrape off a little paint. Well, we got through, Nancy declared in relief. Now for River Heights. These roads are terrible, Lara commented anxiously. Do you think we'll make it? We'll be home inside of half an hour, Nancy assured her confidently. And the first thing you must do when we get there is to change your wet clothing and go to bed. Just try to relax now. Lara attempted to obey, but it was obvious that she was suffering from a nervous shock. Nancy drew long to question her concerning her troubles, but she felt it would be unwise, for Lara was on the verge of becoming hysterical. What she needed was quiet and rest. There would be ample time to hear the story after they reached River Heights, Nancy told herself. Chapter 8 Lara's Story It was nearly six o'clock, 
when Nancy Drew's mud-splattered roadster finally reached River Heights and turned in at the driveway of the Drew residence. With a sigh of relief, the two girls climbed from the automobile and stretched their cramped muscles. The ride from Melrose Lake had been a tedious one, and Nancy's arms ached from the strain of holding the car to the road. She had been forced to battle mud until she had reached pavement a short way from the city. Lara Pendleton, who had been drenched by the chilly rain, was chattering with cold, and Nancy was far from warm. I'll find dry clothing for you right away, Nancy promised, rushing her friend toward the house. As the girls entered, Hannah Gruen, the housekeeper, came from the kitchen and surveyed them in amazement. Land sakes, she exclaimed, you must have been caught in the storm. We certainly were, Nancy returned. Hannah, this is my friend, Lara Pendleton. We're both soaked to the skin. While we're changing into dry clothing, I wonder if you would make us some hot tea or a little beef broth. Indeed I will, Hannah assured her eagerly. Is father here? Nancy questioned as the housekeeper started toward the kitchen. Mr. Drew left for St. Louis early last week. Oh, I didn't know he was going. Nancy was disappointed, for she had hoped that her father would be at home to meet Lara. Business, I suppose? Yes, I think he said it was about some law case. He left a note for you. I'll go get it. The housekeeper hurried to the desk. Removing an envelope from a drawer, she handed it to Nancy. You'd better change your clothes before you read it she advised the girl. Nancy took Lara upstairs and quickly found suitable garments. As Lara was about her own size, she had no trouble in fitting her. While she dressed, Nancy scanned the note from her father. He was called away unexpectedly, she told Lara. I'm sorry he isn't here because he will want to thank you for saving my life. Oh, I don't want any thanks for that, Lara protested. Father says he'll get back either tomorrow or the next day, so perhaps you'll meet him after all. Oh, I can't stay that long, Nancy. Nonsense. I won't permit you to leave until I'm certain you've suffered no bad effects from this adventure. Do you feel better now? Yes, I'm all right. Then we'll go downstairs. Hannah will have something for us to eat. What a beautiful home you have here, Nancy exclaimed Lara, as she looked around her with much satisfaction. I think it's nice, Lara, answered the lawyer's daughter. Anyway, it's very comfortable. Dad and I couldn't like it any better. I had just such a home once, returned the visitor, and her voice saddened a bit. That was when Mother and Dad were still alive. Well, I hope that someday you'll have just as nice a place in which to live and Nancy placed an assuring hand on the other girl's shoulder. After a warm meal, Nancy lighted a small fire in the fireplace and insisted that Lara curl up in a comfortable chair and toast her feet. Just relax, she ordered. Lara leaned her head back against the cushions and gave a tired sigh. Oh, it's so homelike here, Nancy. Her voice broke. I'm afraid I'll never have a happy home again, now that Mother is gone. Perhaps you'll feel better if you tell me what's troubling you, Lara. 
Oh, it's my guardian, Nancy. I can't live another day with Jacob Aborn. Isn't he kind to you? Kind? Lara's eyes flashed. He doesn't know the meaning of the word. I don't see why Mother ever placed me under his guardianship. Tell me what has happened since you left Moon Lake, and perhaps we can think of a way out of your difficulties. Jacob Aborn is so dictatorial and mean, Lara began. He was fairly decent to me as long as we were at Moon Lake, but just as soon as we reached his bungalow, he came out in his true colors. I wasn't favorably impressed with him myself, Nancy Drew admitted. Didn't he take you to a nice home? Oh, the bungalow is all right. I haven't any complaint on that score, save that it's very far removed from the other cottages on the lake. But, Nancy, would you believe it? He doesn't keep a single servant. He didn't expect you to do the work. He did, Nancy, and the bungalow has nine rooms, too. I hadn't been there an hour when he told me to get busy. How mean! Why, you're not strong enough to do hard work, Nancy protested. I thought your mother left an ample allowance for your needs. I thought the same, but it seems I was mistaken. Jacob Aborn told you that? Yes. I had understood that mother left something like fifty or sixty thousand dollars. My guardian tells me the estate has dwindled to less than fifteen thousand dollars. Even that amount should be sufficient to keep you, Laura. Jacob Aborn says it wasn't wisely invested. He claims I'm not much better off than a pauper. Strange he should wait until he had taken you to Melrose Lake before he told you. Nancy murmured in so low a tone that Laura did not hear. Oh, you have no idea how I have suffered the last few days, Nancy. Jacob Aborn has been so hateful to me. He won't give me any spending money, and he says I'm not to have any more money for clothes. I don't wonder you couldn't stand it. You haven't heard the worst. He even took my fur coat away from me. I hadn't had an opportunity to put it in storage, and I had it in my trunk. He took your coat? Nancy gasped. Yes, I think he intends to pawn it. I never heard of anything more outrageous. And he's been trying to force me to turn over Mother's jewels to him. You didn't do it, Nancy exclaimed quickly. No, they're wrapped up in that little bundle I brought with me. Perhaps I can put them in your safe for a few days? Certainly. The jewels are worth considerable, though, of course, I wouldn't think of selling them. What did Jacob Aborn want with them? Nancy questioned suspiciously. He said he intended to put them in a safe place, but I didn't believe him. I feel sure he expected to sell them. That man must be a regular villain, Nancy observed indignantly. He threatened me, too. He said if I didn't turn over the jewels, he'd lock me up in my room. I can't understand the man, Nancy. He does the queerest things. What sort of things, Lara? Well, for one thing, he leaves the bungalow every night, carrying a small bundle. When he returns, the bundle is gone. That is odd, Nancy said thoughtfully.
How long is he usually gone? Oh, about an hour, I should judge. I haven't the slightest idea where he goes, but he acts as though he's afraid someone will see him, she answered. It does look peculiar, Lara. Have you noticed anything else about him? He always makes these trips after dark, when he thinks I'm asleep. Several times I've heard him steal out of the house. You never followed him? Mercy, no. I'd have been afraid. Anyway, I couldn't have done it had I wished, because he always locked me in. Hmm, Nancy mused thoughtfully. He must be afraid you'll learn something. Either that or he wanted to prevent me from running away. How did you manage it? Jacob Aborn seldom leaves the bungalow in the daytime. But this afternoon was an exception. He locked me in my room and left me there. Just as soon as he was out of sight, I bundled up Mother's jewels. I had hidden them under the mattress. Then I made a rope out of the sheets and lowered myself to the ground. I started off down the road, hoping I would meet someone who would help me reach River Heights. How fortunate that I ran into you. Yes, it was. The storm came up quickly, and I was dreadfully frightened. I knew Jacob Aborn would half kill me if he caught me. Now that I've escaped, I don't know what I had better do. Can I be forced to return to that horrible man? Are you sure he's your legal guardian? I guess he is, Lara admitted miserably. I saw the papers. Unless the court appoints you a new guardian, I am afraid he could force you to return, Nancy said slowly. Of course, I'm not sure about that, but I believe he would have a legal right to do it. I wish father were here. He would know. Oh, what shall I do, Nancy? Lara cried desperately. I can't go back. I'd sooner be dead. Don't worry, Nancy said comfortingly. J.K. Bayborn hasn't found you yet. But I have no place to hide. I am without friends. You mustn't forget that I am your friend, Nancy returned quietly. I'll do everything in my power to help you. Oh, Nancy, you're so good. Tears came into Lara's eyes. You mustn't think about Jacob Aborn anymore. You are to stay here until my father comes back. He'll be able to help you, I know. Perhaps I'll be able to think of something myself. A look of determination settled over Nancy Drew's face. She was convinced that Jacob Aborn was a cruel guardian, and she intended to help her new friend. If only she could think of a way. This is your host, Catherine Lopez Luker. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Stories Come to Life. Be sure to join us next time when we continue to listen to the bungalow mystery. You can find a link to our podcast on the Marshall Public Library webpage, www.marshallpl.org. I'll talk to you again soon.